I don't want to do that to you guys. Never mind. Um, uh, it's got to be a James McAvoy movie, of course. You know, <laughs> now that the, now that it is um, this, that's welcome what this to podcast the James is. McAvoy. <laughs> yeah, we're doing themed cycles again. Ahoy, <laughs> McAvoy is the name yeah. of the podcast now. That's even better. Hello, everybody. Oh. Sorry. Go for it. <laughs> I didn't know if we were starting or if it was just an awkward pause. Well, okay, I'll shut up now. He couldn't, he couldn't have planned it any better. It's like you were waiting for it. <laughs> I can't promise I won't do the same uh, fucking thing deliberately now. Tempted, yeah. What are we talking about again? My son. <laughs> my son. My son. Dude, I was totally planning on tripping you up, and you did it to yourself. I did it with my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's just... I'll you mute. Know, I'll, I'll, be, I'll behave. The silence beforehand is partly giving you a place to cut. It's partly me prepping my first three sentences, you know? And here I went, I dug in for a sentence and went, today we watched Static. And I was like, okay. <laughs> And welcome to another episode of Movie Mumble, your monthly movie exploration and discussion podcast where four friends get together and talk about movies. The basic idea being that we get more out of the things we love when we share them with our friends. I've certainly found that to be true. I'm your host, Scott Murray, and I'm joined today by my friends, Joel Lewis. My wee boy! <laughs> Tim Gerard. Hello. And Brett. <laughs> Hello. All right. Can't predict me. It's improv, baby. <laughs> Every month we get together, we take turns picking a film, then we watch it, then we talk about it. The film can be anything at all, new or old, foreign or domestic, live action or animated, a film we've seen a million times or never seen before. There are no rules. We spoil everything we watch. So if you're worried about that sort of thing, you should watch a movie before listening to its podcast episode. And at the end of each episode, we'll announce what we're watching next month so you can watch along with us if you'd like. This month, our movie selector was Zeke. And Zeke brought us My Son, the 2021 English language remake, side make, I'll call it, of a 2017 French film. And I call it a side make because the director did both movies. Much like Funny Games, you know, it's not just Thank America you. taking it. It's a director coming and doing it again in a separate language. Zeke, would you like to intro the movie a bit for us? Sure, yeah. And I guess I'll start with why I picked it. Um, and before that, I'll start. I don't want to, you know, plant any seeds or take this anyway. But, I mean, they all can't be winners. So <laughs> I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't like it too much. Oh, really? Just, I'm excited to dig in. I just don't oh, interesting. know. Yeah, had we'll you see seen it up. before you brought it to the podcast? No, yeah, the, oh. this is the first one where none of us okay. had seen it. I just picked some random okay. shit, and I can talk about why I picked some random shit. But I don't know. Four cold boys away. going in cold. So, like, <laughs> no, uh, you know, tell us about when you first saw this and why you chose it. Yeah, segment here. There's <laughs> this just is a this. chosen segment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, I mean, I thought it was a good time for James McAvoy because we just done uh, Atonement, right? And um, it was like, well, it's you know. When else would we do it? Figure this is a good time as any. Um, 
but I was intrigued by it. So I had seen when they first announced it, um, just kind of a premise, not about the movie, uh, but about the making of the movie. And they had kind of framed it as James McAvoy was going to be, um, he wasn't going to have the script. Everyone else would have the script. He would kind of have a general idea of where the story was going. And then he would kind of just react to the act, other actors' lines. And I thought that seemed like a pretty unique take on a movie, a, a you know, kind of a fascinating way to film it. Um, so I thought it would be an interesting one to bring here and to watch and to see how that unfolded. Um, and apparently, I, I was reading up on it after, um, apparently that was the case with the French version too. The, the main actor there didn't have a script. Um, yeah, again, just only aware of the basic aspects of the story and having to react in each moment as it unfolds. The rest of the cast and crew um, were aware of the of the scenes. And so I don't know. I, I thought it was emotional. I thought there was... The then, didn't they? Yeah. Uh-huh. Obviously, he's going to be... That's really cool. Right. That's so I thought great. it was a cool concept. Um, but I don't know. I think in practice, and we can get there later with first impressions and stuff, I just don't know that it added much or changed much, right? I don't know that it was a better movie because of it. Um, if I didn't know that fact and I just threw this on TV and started watching, I don't know if I would have picked up on it or felt like, oh, wow, the reactions here are extra powerful or the acting is great, great or anything like that. Um, so that's kind of how I came, you know, to it and how I felt after watching it. It wasn't bad. Just not a movie I'm ever going to like watch again. And, and, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Pretty straightforward. James McAvoy gets a call from his ex-wife and she tells him that their son is missing. They go to the campsite where the son last was. Everyone's searching for him. And it kind of slowly transforms into, uh, you know, a revenge vigilante story. He kind of takes things into his own hands to, um, make some progress and track down and follow some leads about who he think who he thinks might have taken his son. I don't know. And I, I, this is again jumping ahead. I think to me, the climax of the story it didn't very, feel very suspenseful to me, and it felt kind of like a you know your average two thousands. Like we've seen this movie before, right? Someone's taken and people go to track them down, and it's you know it's this big broader thing. It's not somebody he knew really. It's I don't know, just unfolds in this like wacky, let me beat some ass kind of way. Um, yeah. And then it ended. <laughs> I don't know. I just, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm coming out rough, but that's how I feel. <laughs> sure. Tim or Joel, do one of you want to continue our first impressions? I'll, I'll go. Cause I, yeah, I, I, I have thoughts that I've wanted to say from earlier on. <laughs> um, I, I, I definitely, you know, and you know, what I was going to say earlier before the podcast is like, I tend to, you know, read into things, you know, as we all know. So the fact that like when, you know, the name of it being, you know, my son, you know, I was like, Oh, well, well, who, whose son is, is it something where, Oh, he's going to find out it was actually this other guy's kid. You know, and it's like, I was kind of like, you know, coming up with all these like conspiracy theories about like, you know, who, who the son actually belonged to. And it was just like, no, that had nothing to do with it, you know? And it was, and I mean, I did like that that kind of did come up where it's like, you know, you know, it's kind of like with James McAvoy being like, oh, he's my son, but then, you know, it's his ex but then also with the, his ex-wife's boyfriend, you know, where it's like, oh, I've been raising him as a son. So I feel like that, 
that specific name, like as opposed to again, like it's not our son. That was what started all this. Is I accidentally said our son earlier, but no, it's my son. You know, it's like, oh, well, whose son is it? But yeah, that wasn't at all part of the film. It wasn't at all like a a, a sort of hidden hint at some underpinning aspect of it. Um, but yeah, I yeah, like you said, Zeke, it, it, it is a film I feel like we've seen before. But what I what I kind of what I liked about it in terms of that is that you know usually when we see stuff like that it was like because wasn't with with ransom like wasn't uh mel gibson's character like super rich and that's why the kid had been kidnapped or uh with taken you know like luckily liam neeson is this badass like whatever he was where he's like i have training to deal with people like you this was just a regular ass guy who Mm you know, he's, he's going to try to find his son. Like he has no training for this or any other training that kind of, you know, would, would help with this other than the fact that it's like, okay, I guess I'm the only one who's going to, who's going to get my son. Um, so I, I, I mean, my, my, my first, first impression was definitely like, okay, this is one of the reasons I'm not having kids, you know, like, not like <laughs> this made the decision for me. And it was like, I was going to run out and have kids tomorrow, but like this type run of out, thing, like, get a couple. <laughs> right yeah you know but <laughs> the wrong inspiration from this movie sorry but, but no but it's like you know and i've seen other stuff like this where it's just like that idea of dealing with oh someone kidnapped your kid you know and it's just like like i would i would go insane you know and it's like and i don't and that's the thing too is like luckily one of the things that i did like and i don't know if this makes it more realistic or less realistic i feel like he was able to keep his head enough, at least in key instances where he didn't just charge in guns a blazing. Like he was able to still play it smart enough where, you know, he didn't just like, Oh, he's dead. You know, he tried to confront this guy and now he's dead. The movie's over, you know, Um, it was, it was believable at least in that way that all of a sudden he didn't become a Jason Bourne type character where he's just Kung Fu fighting with all these people. You know, it's like he had to, be realistic about it and yeah and one of one of the things i thought of you know like i said the comparison to taken is the one where you know he's talking on the phone with one of the kidnappers and he's like just leave the boy and go he's like i'm coming for you and he's like fuck you know it's like this was liam neeson it would be like i'm coming for you but he's he's trying to just get out there with his son with as little conflict as possible because he doesn't have the confidence to know that he can take on these other two guys and everything so i i I like that it kind of i don't know if it meant to sort of point at taken and be like yeah like that story you can kind of get behind and you know oh yeah the the dad's gonna tear through everyone to find his daughter like you know this is not the case you know um i so yeah so i mean aside from the, the the subject matter of it and how like how disturbing that was and also how i feel like it also got worse Cause like, I, I feel like if you think kidnapping, you're like, okay. And, and they were steering you in this direction. Oh, it could be because of your job. If either people want to sort of leverage or put some pressure and, you know, either, you know, don't do this thing or do this thing. And then we'll give you your son back, you know? And it, the fact that like, it was able to make it more sinister than that and be like, oh no, your, your kid's just going to be gone. And someone's going to be fucking your kid at some point, you know, like, it, it's it's definitely one of those things that like I part of me gets angry to watch films like that because it's like why are you making a film about this but it's like well no the 
I'm not angry at the filmmaker. I'm angry at the people who actually exist in real life in this world, who are those people who these films are being made about, you know, and it's like, you know, like the, the, the worst kind of people. And it's, so it's, you know, it's definitely one of those things where, you know, I, I, I thought of, <laughs> I thought of this cause I, I thought it was a good movie and I don't want to say I enjoyed it. You know, it's like, it's like watching breaking bad where you have to keep watching it, but you feel shitty the whole time you're watching it. Like you're not, enjoying yourself so i was like i wanted to i was like oh i gotta tell zeke zeke thank you but fuck you but thank you <laughs> you know like that, that was fair, kind of the thing it was up, like yeah. i was watching this i was like i wish i wasn't fucking watching this but but it's also like okay but like it you know and and the fact that it does kind of resolve where he gets his kid back, you know, and he, he also exposed this whole thing. So it's like, you, you have this hope that they're going to actually get to tear this whole, you know, racket down. So I was like, that's great. I also like the, you know, it also leaves you with this sense of like, oh yeah, we know that, you know, you helped us uncover this whole child sex ring, but you also dirt, you know, burned a dude's foot. So we got to arrest you, you know? And it's like, you know, that's, that's so fucking typical of the world too, where it's just like, you know, you know, it's like, what was I supposed to do in this situation? Oh, just let your kid get fucked and we'll let the authorities handle it, handle it the proper way. Like, no, I'm going to burn a dude's foot, you know? So like, I feel like, you know, again, they give you this, this little bit of a, 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 of, of a reality at the end. Like it's not happily ever after he still, he now has to go deal with this and be like in court and possibly going to prison, you know, because someone, you know, kidnapped his kid and he did what he had to in order to get his kid back. And had he not done all those, I mean, I guess, yes, technically he didn't have to burn the dude's foot because it happened afterwards. But, you know, you could you could tell them, like, that's the only way I told him how, you know, or got him to tell me where my son was, was by burning his foot. But yeah, so it was it was definitely like, again, like, I can't say I liked it, but it was it was engaging. It was well done. Um, you know, like you said, I don't know how much I, there were things that I noticed a little bit, like I was aware of the whole thing of like him not having a script as I was watching it. And it definitely like, I, I will say it pulled me out of the story a little bit because I was paying attention to his performance as an actor, as opposed to like losing myself in the character, you know, and kind of analyzing like, oh, is this awkward pause right here? Because, you know, because Claire Foy is out of lines you know, she read her part of the script and we're waiting for him to react. Or is it like, you know, is that done in editing? You know, like, like I was, I was thinking too much about the production of the film sometimes. Um, and not that it ruined it, but it definitely made it more of like, um, more of like a study in this type of filmmaking. Um, as opposed to, yeah, you know, I lost myself in this character because it was so real because he wasn't saying scripted words, you know, so yeah, so yeah, I I would like to see a movie where they do something like that again that doesn't have to do with this subject matter. So I can, you know, kind of, you know, not have to think about that part of it while I'm going on this journey. And maybe that was also part of my brain trying to protect itself is like, oh, focus on James McAvoy's acting and not what's actually happening here and how this actually happens in real life, you know, that type of thing. Um, but yeah, I I I, I I don't know how to say I I liked it, but I didn't like it. But you know I, I you know you I think you I think you get it. You get <laughs> you know. Um, also, before I forget, I do want to say too that there's another film that came out of my blockbuster days. It was much lower stakes than this. It was still had sort of a, a you know disturbing kind of uh, 
revelation sort of the end of it but uh movie tape with uh it had ethan hawk uma thurman and i forget who the third guy was what his name is but i think it was yeah i think it was a similar thing where the premise was like ethan hawk is in this hotel room and his character has invited uma thurman and the other guy and i think the two of them didn't know like what he was inviting them in there. So I think Ethan Hawke knew like what the whole deal was like, and there's a tape and it's the whole subject matter is what is on that tape. And I think he knows. And the whole point of it is like, he had to keep them in the room by giving them little bits of information to intrigue them and make them want to stay and make them interact with him. But, uh, but yeah, that was, that was sort of another interesting sort of thing like that, where it's like, Oh, some characters are clued in, but, others aren't and some people are are doing improv while some people are more scripted or more directed so um so yeah i I recommend checking that film out if you're interested in that sort of thing um also again it doesn't involve you know kidnapping and and the child's sex slave trade um so the stakes are a little lower um but uh but yeah so those are those are my first impressions (laughs) that is called tape by the way yeah so you have that right jim oh good joel this is interesting. I, it's, it was so fascinating to watch as an acting exercise. Cause I don't know if it was shot sequent. There's so many questions I have about the setup. And that's the other thing is like, did he have storyboards? Does he know the beats of the story? Does he know the end? Cause it's to follow his performance. And it, it's so fascinating to watch an actor make choices and be stuck with those choices. And then using it to f- figure out this, caper essentially as the character i I don't know like it's almost like truman show ish the kind of like wind them up and watch them go through this this constructed scenario and people have information and it, it had the quality of watching improv and improv is not pleasant to watch all the time because you have characters who don't you don't identify them of right away and they don't know what's happening and they're discovering it and crafting it in the moment. And it had that quality. I mean, especially when McAvoy is interacting with uh, the boyfriend, Frank, that you can tell that there's like, he's only got so many lines. He can only feed you so many leads and he's got to make choices and move through it. So I was curious about the setup there. Cause I, I, I would would have been aware of something odd about how the dialogue was delivered, the awkwardness of the pacing and the editing, those things that are centered around McAvoy's performance. I would have been aware of those not knowing that it was improv. But I'm curious to see what I would have thought of in that scenario, watching it not knowing, because it has a different pace. It, it interrupts the the tempo of filmmaking in a certain sense the way he's delivering lines and having to i don't know like he says and grunts and does things you don't do in movies and i thought it was almost really kind of naturalistic in terms of an acting exercise kind of pure method in terms of the character has to figure out what's gone on and has these avenues i don't know like it was really fascinating I think the cinematography is outstanding. Um, the it, it's terrifying. Like it, it's very, and I think that's the other thing. It's really uncomfortable to watch because McAvoy he, he's selling every second of it, and that's the thing. Does he have a character bio? He must know this relationship with his ex-wife. That's the other thing. Like what what material was he using? 
because it's so the choices that he makes, he conveys all of the emotion of that uh, estranged father. He can't be there, but he has to. He's there now, trying to do something. You know, like I haven't been at like it, all of those emotional things were there without any of written dialogue, and it was really interesting to just see what McAvoy's brain came up with in those moments. I mean, it was fascinating to watch him go in the ambulance or when they, they took him away, right? Like he was arrested him interacting. Like, you're not going to say anything. Like there, there are moments you would cut away from and would have been cut in editing and stuff like lines that would have been rewritten because it's just, I don't know. It was, it was really fascinating to watch. It, it, it made me feel like McAvoy just got a dream to just what, what a thing to play in. And obviously, awful context, awful story. But as an exercise for the art form, I I just thought it was really interesting, and I got really dialed into that. And it, it it's like you said, we've seen this movie before, but I've never felt because there's a moment where he goes through and he's gonna uh, he's lured the three of them out, like they're going to the car to where the the tire he's let the air out of the tire. And I was like, okay, he's three on one. Go get him. In my head, I'm like, go do the Bourne thing. Do the James Bond thing. And he has to wait. And I'm like, no, three on one, you don't win as a normal person. And I think it's the first movie I ever really felt that, where it's like, no, if you're a guy trying to get your kid, you are playing one-on-one elimination and trying to be as quiet. You are stealth moding. There's no, like, what is it, speed running this level like and uh, that that was really interesting to me and that's the thing the third act is really slow and really agonizing and it's hard to like there's no it's it's just really i don't know stressful because you have to wait with him and it's in real time and he's making decisions i'm just really curious like blocking wise i don't know i don't know it it was really fascinating I, i I don't know that I would watch it again. I would be curious to see if it is. I would like to forget that it was improv and try and watch it again and see if I pick up on the same things. But I, I, I thought it was a really interesting concept. And it reminded me of like an experimental film um, from 68. It's called Symbiopsychotaxoplasm. Um, and it's by this weird director from the 60s, William Graves. And he... The idea was he's filming a documentary of him filming a bad movie. And it's 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 so up its own ass. It's so it's so filmer or filmmakers playing with film as a, a medium and it, it's sexist and it bears all the, the it's got bad dialogue that's racist. Like it, it's very much a a an awful product in terms of like these different components, but it's really a fascinating thing. Cause it, it's trying to capture failure in a really strange way. It's like uh, Andy Kaufman doing the bombing act. He's, he's going up and doing stand up deliberately to fail. And that is, and it, I mean, it's become this thing where it's, it's parodied to, to the nth degree where it, like exit from the gift shop or it's like anybody who says, oh, this mess that I slapped my name on is art, you know, that whole thing. It's kind of the start of that, I think, this kind of post-postmodernism thing. Um, But it's just fascinating, this idea of, like, what a director will put as the setting for what is put on screen. It was really interesting. It made me think of that, because it's these actors who 
are given very little script and very little direction in this crew that's kind of milling about and the director kind of moves from thing to thing and doesn't make any decisions and just it's very loose and it's very awkward and it, it's, it's very interesting it, it because when you put a camera on people and how they interact ju- it just changes but also the awkwardness of like we have a job to do we've are we paying these people is this really the project i don't know it felt it's like the room but like orchestrated rather than just like this is a guy who's got money is telling us to do weird stuff it's like no, now the like, and it's earnestly doing that, but this kind of constructed place for the film to exist. I don't know. I've talked for about fifteen minutes without <laughs> breathing. I'm sorry. <laughs> Just fast. It was fascinating. I'm glad to have watched it. I don't know if I would rewatch it other than to compare my notes from before. But McAvoy, like, this seems like the one for him. You know, like, really fascinating as an acting challenge. You know. Well, I'm about to kind of undo a lot of what you said because I didn't I didn't know about the improv thing and I had no clue until you said so a minute ago, Zeke. I had no clue. Um, you know, his performance did seem disjointed a bit, but it felt like, well, yeah, the guy's son just got kidnapped. His mood switches are probably going all over the place and he feels different, you know, every in five second intervals. Like, let alone through conversations with people like his ex wife, like shit. So in that regard, I guess it's a success that came off to me as normal but on the other hand if i didn't notice is that a success is that the point <laughs> i don't know and then i even thinking about it it i kind of don't believe it just because there are certain portions that had to have been scripted right or like you said joel about maybe the rest of the structure worked around like when he's talking to his ex-wife because he found the photos of the car he's the one who says to her can you call your brother and you know your brother still works in insurance right like if there was supposed, how else was he supposed to track them down? Did he just make that up on the spot and suddenly we removed half the film because he's not tracking them down anymore because he invented this convenient right. answer? Yeah. Or was that always going to happen? And it feels a little like they wouldn't have risked that much of the structure on two lines, he said in a scene. So I, I don't know. But I, I liked this movie too. I thought it was good. I don't necessarily know that I'll watch it again. The result is kind of put on the pile in that there are a lot of movies I've seen that were good. I finished them and went, that was a good movie. I liked that. And then X number of years later, I probably can't remember them. And if someone says the name to me, I'll go, oh, yeah, I liked that. But it's never going to come up in my mind of its own volition. So I think that's where this this lands for me, which isn't, again, good movie, you know, well made, but it doesn't rise above anything. Um, I really liked, it's funny you mentioned Mel Gibson, Tim. I was thinking, oh, this is like Edge of Darkness, but if it's not terrible, <laughs> if any of you saw that. Because <laughs> um, Edge of Darkness is a similar, you know, he, uh, Mel Gibson's daughter gets killed, so he starts hunting down who it might be. And then the film just completely, plot-wise, completely loses itself. I mean, I, if you told me that was like five scripts crammed into one movie, I'd believe you. It was, uh, it was a mess. It was disjointed. You know, here, everything at least comes together in a single package in one cohesive whole. And I really liked that, yeah, James McAvoy is a regular guy, probably, but maybe not quite, because they talk about that job. And at first, it's a kidnapping angle. Oh, yeah, what do you do? But he's really coy about what he does and about why they have to pay ransoms on employees in places he goes to. And then when he calls that Leia lady at work the second time, she's freaking out about the government. They have all your rack files. 
he like doesn't seem to know what the hell she's talking about but as soon as it becomes clear that she can't help with his son he's done with him which makes sense i mean the you know the bereaved father is like hyper focused on the don't care about the rest of my my life focused on the kid don't care what's going on with that click but like what was that what were they doing in iraq why is his company so shady is he a normal guy like what what gives and and I did love that he didn't go full Jason Bourne or full Liam Neeson on them, but he also seemed to know what he was doing, you know, when he, like, looked ahead on the map about where to park so he could walk in without alerting people and letting the out of the tire ahead of time stuff. Like, I don't know. There was something about him that, that was left unanswered, and I loved that it I loved that it kept him normal. You know, he didn't 1v3 anybody, but also, you know, it, it hinted that the rest of this life that he has outside of the few glimpses he gets with his son is not only like that. It's just not normal that he, he lost something when he lost his life with his son, not just because he lost the son, but because of what he went and did, like what it was sort of acquiring of him. And then, you know, he's traveling all the time. He has no connection to lots of other people. I just, I liked that framing of his, his origin, I suppose. Um, and I had another line here, another note. Yeah. About, I liked, I really loved the way the movie played for the whole first half. You didn't know what kind of movie it was going to be. Tim, you mentioned about this, about, but I love because you don't know whether it's going to be this guy's just losing his fucking mind and slowly unraveling and accusing everybody he sees and like falling to pieces or whether he's going to go take on everybody's asses. And that first interrogation with the blowtorch, we didn't even know that. We had no clue. You know, he didn't, he didn't look in the car. So for all we knew, this guy's going to continue to insist. He has no idea what you're talking about or who you are. And then McAvoy was going to kill him. And then suddenly we were going to cut to a police station where they were like, so why did your husband murder a stranger in a farmhouse? And like, just shit, he's fucking lost it. Like, I up until that moment, you know, but then it, once he starts talking, there's this huge sigh of relief. of like, okay, you didn't just torture some random stranger who has done nothing wrong. And then yeah, the movie did go, you know, go in that taken direction um, more restrainedly to its credit. Can we talk about that scene for a second? Like, I at that point, I was like, but you don't have enough information to yeah. definitely know this is the guy. Like, you, you exactly. were blowtorching really early. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then I agree about, you know, the the nature of the crimes later. It's uncomfortable in that way that Night and Fog was uncomfortable of... Like yeah, what else do you say? I like watching this, and I'm glad that it's been made and it's done well. But but also, I'm not gonna say I liked watching this. You know, I mean, lots of movies about that kind of subject matter. I struggle, but again, that didn't come up until the interrogation as well. So the whole first chunk of the movie, where where he's balancing on that knife edge and we don't know which way he's gonna go, is well, at least when you watch it the first time, that whole first portion is untainted by that. And it really just left me wondering what's going on in this guy's head in a really pleasant way yeah that reveal was hard that that line yeah. Mac of, and that's I, I i it added to it that he didn't know i feel like and that's the thing again what did he know because like the punch had to be scripted you had to know he punched him to be arrested right like so like i don't know it, it's weird the line that the part where the uh in the interrogation when the guy does admit that okay, yeah, I took your kid, and you breathe that sigh of relief of like, okay, good, he didn't torment an innocent man. But now, that's terrible, because it does mean that this wasn't a random kidnapping, right? This was like work-related, 
or there is no there's no good answer now right you know if the answer had been oh yeah some guy paid me like a thousand bucks to take your kid because such of the company you work for obviously that wouldn't be good but he talked earlier in the film about dealing with kidnappings and paying ransoms and and that's your best case scenario so when that's your best when he admits it that it was like it's not going to be anything good it's going to be well yeah and then it wasn't of course but and you technically they didn't they didn't leave us hanging for long because the driver tries to like that scene was great in that he he's he's clearly that's how he's justified what he's doing to himself in his own head before. You can tell by the way he delivers it, right? I'm not the one who touches them. Like, I just I just take them. It's, it's fine. He, he's clearly rationalized to himself, but oh, well, I'm not doing it. So, yeah. you know, it's okay. And there's no sense of, of remorse or anything. The matter-of-fact yeah. way he said it, too. Like, the, mm-hmm. he, he's so deluded himself into, like, yeah. it, it's so... And, the line Zeke, just you were gonna say out, something. And right. McAvoy blinks, like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Is that what you just said? Yeah, sorry, please, Zeke. No, I was just going to jump in with some second first impressions after hearing you all go, because I, yeah, I feel I was too harsh to start. I, again, don't know that I loved it, and I don't know that the that the gimmick of it added as much for me. I, I still stand by that. But I did like all of you, you know, you're framing both around him as just a regular guy. I think that is important to to think about a regular guy with a, an unknown job and some backstory there for sure. But like, I think my head did go a little bit to, okay, his kid's taken, we're going the ransom or taken or born route. And he's just going to go, you know, and get his kid back. And so in that way, I felt like the suspense was lessened and the stakes were a little bit lower, but you all made the good point too. I mean, this was heavy subject matter too. And I don't want to, you know, glance over that because I think, you know, where they went with it was pretty important, pretty powerful too. Um, you know, and, and yeah, and I think McAvoy's acting was fantastic. I think he showed a lot of emotion. I think for me, the emotion he showed, I don't know. And I got stuck to Tim, you kind of mentioned kind of knowing that going in, you know, the unscripted factor in your, in your head about, well, you know, all these questions, why this, why that, you know, the production side of things. I think that did take me out of it a little bit because the scenes to me where he was most powerful weren't even ones where he was said, I think that's what it was. I was looking for a big line to be delivered or some big, you know, from the heart monologue, what magic is he going to create unimprovised? And it was less about let me come up with this mind blowing line and more about the small emotions building into bigger emotions, how he's reacting to things over time. Um, you know, little lines here and there and, and more reacting than, than, than speaking, I guess, is, is ultimately where he gave the most emotion. So, yeah, I think, you know, Scott, to your intro, you know, we take more away when we watch this together. So I'm already kind of considering those things a little bit differently for sure. Excellent. Two in a row. Yes. <laughs> um, do we want to talk at all about, well, I don't know why I started on my sentences that way, but <laughs> in the end, he seems to be like, sort of back with his ex-wife and also he's telling the kid like i'm gonna stick around and you know maybe that's just because his workplace has imploded we've been shut down by interpol for all we know but that seems a little bit out of nowhere because there didn't seem to be a big reconciliation between the two of them right you know if anything it seemed to be a well 
like, yes, a reconciliation, but not a back to square one reconciliation. Like once he tells her like, yeah, I found him, there's this, this sense of like, okay, yeah, we can respect each other like adults again type of thing, like a, a back to amicability. So yeah, it didn't land as hard as like the end of the Santa Claus, even though Santa Claus, the end of the yeah. Santa Claus is really ambiguous too as to how they, but like, not, I'm sorry, not to lighten it up. But no, like, yeah, it's, it's well said because it's the boyfriend isn't there, but maybe he's still in the hospital. I don't yeah, know how, how much longer is this? Hips. <laughs> like, where, how, how many days or slash months have passed? Who knows, right? right? When when so I that, saw the start of that scene, I thought it was a dream. Like I thought he had died, and this was his imagined heaven where it were. But like, it, because everything was so grounded in the fact that he was being held accountable for, you know, torching people like as a civilian with no jurisdiction. But like, I that was yeah, it was an interesting. I I don't know. It, the, the whole pacing of the end of it is really strange. Like the end is strange. I don't know. It almost should have ended with him just like hitting the the, <laughs> the tree, and it's just we don't know, <laughs> like because the suspense I, of those those footsteps that come is like oh shit, and then and I don't know, like I mean for me the the end, I mean yeah, like I feel like it was it was tough to tell at first, but but that's the other thing too, like I mean he was also shot, so he was probably in the hospital for a while too, yeah, and probably while he's in the hospital, I assume she would come to visit him and. Yeah, again, yeah, like, whatever whatever their differences were, there had to be some degree of re- reconciliation. It's just, like, you fucking saved our son, you know? Like, like I thought you were crazy in, you know, chasing all this stuff down, and you were right, and he's here now with us because of you. So there's got to be some degree of, like, maybe not getting back together, but, like, you know, and plus that was part of it, too. I feel like her whole gripe with him was that he wasn't around. So it's like, yeah, if he doesn't have his job, and it's like, <laughs> I gotta go away for a while. I also like they left it kind of vague, like it could just be there's a hearing, and then it's they're, they're like, yeah, we're gonna let you off with you know house arrest or something, you know, mm-hmm. like because obviously you're not a person who wants to go around torching people's feet for fun, you know. We gotta do something yeah. because yeah, you broke the law, you became a vigilante. The basic but, of our you know, social compact is that we don't go vigilante all the time. And we've let- right let the societal institutions handle things, but also good job. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so yeah, maybe that's part of it is like, okay, we don't want to get into the specifics of what kind of thing, you know, and um, you know, and yeah, just the fact that I feel like he was able to go see his son. So obviously like, okay, you're not a flight risk and it's, but you know, it's, and, and, and yeah, and that's not what the movie is about is about what type of punishment he gets, but, but there's going to be something, there are going to be consequences and, and whatever, but he's, when he's out of jail or whatever, he's going to be there with his kid and all that stuff. And so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I feel like, yeah, it was very, it was very vague, but I think, I think it made sense to me. You know, I was able to kind of fill in some, some blanks in that sense. Um, you know, I, you know, and, and, you know, that's one another thing I want to, I want to talk about that, the police chief later, like sort of his role in this whole thing. Um, but we can get into that later, but, but yeah, I think, I think that helped to see that too, where it's like, we knew the relationship that he had with that police chief and kind of how he's been involved in the investigation all along. So I think, yeah, it makes sense that he would have been like, yeah, I'll give you some time to say your goodbyes as opposed to like, you're a fucking criminal and you're going to jail, you know, like that type of thing. And yeah, I thought, I thought the ending was like, again, like it had that dose of reality. Like you can't just have this nice, easy wrapped in a bow, happy ending sort of thing. But it, you know, we got some stuff we got to deal with, but overall things worked out as best they could given, given the situation kind of thing, you know, and 
Um, yeah, and maybe, you know, and I, also I didn't think it was odd the boyfriend wasn't there because I could see if it's the type of thing like, yeah, like he's going to come say goodbye to his son before maybe going to prison. Don't be there for that. This isn't about you, you know, like, you know. That also, he probably thing. doesn't want to be around the guy. <laughs> like, he beat yeah. him to shit. Like, maybe maybe I don't want to spend any time with this maniac. <laughs> yeah, he saved the kid, yeah. but he has no interest in keeping me alive. <laughs> like but you know well and even that too i feel like you know i'm sure there's some trauma there but still it's like i I almost wonder and you know where they're talking about him not pressing charges like if part of that is also like okay he thought i was the one who kidnapped his son like maybe there's some degree of understanding and it's like yes i don't want to be around you but hey if i was in that situation maybe i would do the same thing too you know um and actually that was one of the things well actually i'll come back to that in terms of our when we get to our favorite scenes like sort of my take on that scene and sort of how i think it played out and everything but i like that scenes for i guess the scene after it where he's discussing with inspector roy you know we see mcavoy hit it punch him what is it like three or four punches and then he's describing his injuries and oh my god you know it's not just oh yeah like you know, his eyes all banged up and you, you like, dislocated his jaw. It's, he's, he's destroyed. And it establishes that, like I said about, we don't really know what McAvoy's job is. He's strong. Like, a, he's got muscle going on underneath all those coats and sweaters, right? And that, <laughs> even though he's not Jason Bourne, you know, he knows how to hurt a man. So when he walks up and takes a swing with a pipe or what have you, it's, you know, there isn't going to be any of that, like, Oh, he misses and like swings into the the car instead, or oh, it's like a glancing blow off the guy's shoulder. Like you know, he knows how to to do that, right? How to with only a couple of punches, you know, put you in a bed for the next six months, and it it makes that his attacks later on feel all the more. I mean, to to get cheesy about it, they hit a little harder. I liked his uh, left for dead weapon selection. I just it was so cool. Like I don't know when. Whenever I'm in a mo- like watch a movie and like they leave people's swords, they don't loot. You know, like you're supposed. I've played too much Diablo to not take every sword with me to the next thing. Okay, so when he was like lead pipe, big wrench, fucking fire hydrant or a uh, 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 fire extinguisher, I was like, yes, let this is. And I, I, I'd like to think that those were improvised choices. Like, you pick up something to defend yourself, and he just grabs something from the set, I would hope. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. Those littered around the set for him, you know? The director walking around going, okay, so just in case he's in this room when the car drives up, let's put this item here. So, yeah. You know, I wonder, like, thinking back now, if that was the reason why, like, there was the pool table there. Because at one point, I thought, is he going to grab, like, a pool ball and use that to, like, smash it? But it's like, no, you gotta, you got to get too close for that. Like, yes, it's hard, but you have to, you know, be close enough to actually punch them. I was like, it, you know, so you want some dis? Oh, okay, a pipe. Oh, and a fire. You know, it's like, I, I was kind of going through those thoughts, too, of, like, what in this room would I grab if I was there? And it's like... You know, I think I even thought too, well, there's a pool table. Is there a pool cue somewhere? I was like, I was like, no, those, those tend to like break, you know, it's like, how can you really knock someone out with a pool cue in one hit? Probably not, you know? So it was just like, yeah, like it was interesting. I, yeah. Like, I wonder if that was part of it. Where like, what stuff can we litter here that looks normal, but is also a potential weapon and see where he takes it. Yeah. I was going to say on that note, I, I was curious if you all wanted to talk about the improv factor of 
of the dialogue itself. Um, cause I think one of the biggest questions to me, right. When I first heard about it going into it, I'm like, okay, cool. Everybody knows the script. Um, and James McAvoy is reacting to them. Right. And he's feeding off of the lines they give him and, and feeding off of their emotions. And it wasn't until I started watching where he's kind of questioning that, you know, everyone else then has to feed off of James McAvoy. It's not just like they say a line and he responds and leaves. It's no, they build a dialogue. So I was just curious how, I don't know how you all thought that played out. And I know we talked a little bit about some awkward pauses and um, yeah, just curious. I mean, do you think it's kind of just the improv yes and style? So, you know, he's not going to say so anything, say anything so far off base from what they say that they have to be like, what the fuck? And like pivot a whole nother direction, right? They're going to feed him something. He's going to say something along those same lines and then go from there is kind of how I'm thinking of it. But I don't know. What, what, what did you all think about the back and forths? Like, um, well, like I said, I found, found them natural, so I'm probably not a good person to answer this. Yeah, please, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was, I was only going to go first because this is kind of like what I was sort of hinting at a few minutes ago with that scene where he's talking to the boyfriend. Like, and again, like, I don't, I don't know. I didn't do any research, but like, you know, and I, you know, again, maybe I'm just kind of trying to justify and make excuses. The way, after seeing that scene, the way I kind of thought about it in my head is like, well, first of all, I think, yeah, maybe that this had to be shot in chronological order or was it shot out of order so that like, well, like, you know, to jump over to another scene real quick, the one where you were saying how like he was the one who said, call your brother, you know, was that because they had shot a scene earlier and they're like, oh yeah, you know, or, or did they just prep him for that scene? Like, by the way, you know, you know that she has a brother who, you know, works in insurance and can get a license plate, get information from a license plate, you know. And by that point, you know, he knew he had a license plate. So, you know, giving, you know, did they prep him with enough of that information? You know, don't don't walk into it and say, call your brother. But that is sort of like the goal of this scene. So what I was thinking about the scene with the boyfriend is, was he sort of prepped where it's like, okay, at this point, you're you're tired, you're kind of, you know, suspecting everyone. And you, you know, uh, you know, almost you want to, you want this guy to be the kidnapper, like you're going into us wanting to prove that he's the kidnapper. So you can kind of just, you know, and so you're, you're paranoid, you're, so everything he does and says, you're going to be sort of suspect of, you're going to, you're going to wonder, you know, and again, like knowing that it's a film, knowing that he has scripted lines, knowing that the writer gave the boyfriend specific lines to say, and telling McAvoy, like, you're going to find something sort of triggering about everything he says, you're going to find something suspicious about it. Like that's your, that's your, your goal in this scene is to be everything, no matter, no matter how harmless everything he might be doing or saying actually is, you think it's proof that he's the kidnapper and you're going to jump on that. And then somehow this has to end with you putting him in the hospital, <laughs> you know? So like, you know, that was kind of the thing I was thinking is like, you've got to, you know, your, your arc for this scene is to just get to the point where you're convinced, you know, that you've proven your theory that he's the kidnapper and every little thing you see is going to lead you to that. And, and that was something I, even I thought too, like when he's showing him the plans, I was like, where's the kid's room? Is the kid there? Is that, is, you know, cause I was thinking that too. I was thinking, well, actually <laughs> the first thing I thought when I read the description is like, he gets a call from his ex-wife about the, I was like, the ex-wife did it. 
That was like my first instinct was like, it's going to be her. It's going to come all the way around and it's going to be her. She was behind the whole thing. And I feel like they lead you down that path. It's like, oh, she has a new boyfriend. Oh, she's having a hard time taking care of her son. Oh, like, and I feel like you would, you would hope that that's not a thing, but I feel like stuff like that does happen. Like I've heard of stories like that in the news where this, this, you know, woman with a kid gets a boyfriend and all of a sudden the boyfriend doesn't like the kid and the wife is so just smitten with this guy that she goes along with him abusing her son and eventually he's dead you know like so there are fucked up shitty people like that in the world maybe that's what it is or then when it was the boyfriend it's like oh maybe it is him maybe you know oh my life would be easier if i didn't have this kid to do you know so i feel like that you know they i i I feel like part of it was to take you on this sort of paranoid journey with mcavoy and i feel like the fact that i was going on that journey was like yeah that's probably how he's supposed to be thinking too so so i think yeah i think that there was probably at least you know again the way i'm looking at it thinking of it after the fact and how we get him from point a to point b is maybe yeah like he's told we have to end up here and he's told like where his character is at like psychologically at this point like i said i think there was a definite paranoia with every, every action he did. Like, you know, he poured them a drink, he sat down. Why would you turn your phone off? You know, I feel like maybe that was part of the direction that he was given in order to get that scene to go where it had to, but all the little details of how he does that, you know, and again, him, him having to pay attention to what he's doing and thinking that, all right, every, every thing he says and every action he makes was directed by the director specifically the writer director so i have to take that as something that could be you know evidence of him being the the, the kidnapper you know and and we're you know whereas whereas it's his job to kind of just be so chill about the whole thing and then also oh let me tell you about this house we're building which i feel like yeah is this culminating point and and i mean i'm i'm guessing i mean you know again like i said that was a thought i had is is there a room for the kid or no and that's why, you know, because that's his plan is like, we're going to get rid of this kid and we're going to build this new house and we don't need a room for the kid because he's going to be gone. Like, I thought that too. So to me, it wasn't too far off to think that McAvoy would pick up on that and be like, that's what's going to trigger me to beat this guy's ass is that he's building, my son's gone. He's building a house. There's no room for my son. He did it. I'm going to take this guy down now, you know? So that to me was kind of, especially in that scene and why, like, I, I really liked that scene. Um, I, 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 that's kind of where I, I feel like I was peeking behind the curtain and seeing how, how the thing was, was constructed. Um, and, you know, and I think probably in other scenes, it, it might've been a little more loose, like, especially towards the beginning, you know, it's like, well, yeah, obviously you're, you're wondering about your kid and this, this, and that, you know? And, um, one thing I wonder about though, too, is when, when McAvoy like looks in the little pod where the kid was like, did he actually notice those things that he brings up later with the the police when he's like, Hey, I noticed that this, this, and this was still in there. Mm. Like, did he notice that? And that's why that came up later. Or did the director tell him like, Oh, like, this is what you've, you know, it's kind of like, like when you're playing Dungeons and Dragons, like, Oh, I look in this room. What can I see? Oh, right. you mm. see that there's a, this on the wall. There's a, you know, like, was he told the stuff that he was supposed to notice in there or did he like organically notice that stuff and said, I'm going to take that and bring it back later. And, you know, and, and the director's going, Holy shit, McAvoy's a genius. Like that was amazing. I never would have planned for that, you know, or was that kind of woven in as well? So that's yeah, like the continuity is so good with those things. Cause they do yeah. come back and it makes you feel like he's putting the pieces together. And I, yeah. I hope that's what it is. Is like, he's cataloging things and the director's taking notes. It's like, you know, this, you know, this, you figured out this and then 
letting it kind of evolve from that. That's what I hope. Like, I, how do they direct this movie? You have a whole, it's, it's like Wally world. You have all of these characters that are supposed to like come in and interact with you, but you're also a director who those care, those actors need the direction. And how, how are you shaping that? Are you breaking after like, you're taking the first take. So are you talking to everybody and getting them in place and rehearsing? And then McAvoy comes to set and we go, or like, it's really fascinating, especially in that scene. Well, that's something I wonder too, is how, how much editing there was like, it was everything first take or did they try it a few times and, you know, okay, like this is overall where the scene has to go. Let's try that again. Or was there stuff where, you know, did McAvoy take it in a weird direction where it's like, okay, you're getting off topic now. Let's, let's, let's steer it back over here. And we're just going to cut that out and not use that. You know, like, I wonder if there was any editing or if, or if the director was like, I'm going to let whatever happens, happens like it's live, you know, that type of thing. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know about that. I was going to say, I did read an article uh, where McAvoy was talking about kind of a mistake or a decision he thought was stupid in hindsight. Um, and he said he, let me see which scene it was just to be sure. Um, yeah. So he said, um, said, usually we captured the first thing I did and moved on. But this one time a car came out of nowhere and I was scared. So I decided I should hide. I climbed up a tree and I went high. I felt really proud of myself. But when I got down, the director said, I need you to do it in a different way because how do you say in English? It's just a bit fucking stupid. (laughs) (laughs) So apparently not every, at least one scene was kind of like, okay, that's not as a director what I was going for. Why did you go hide in a tree when a car came by? How do you Um, say in English? (laughs) Fucking stupid. Giving that as a stupid ass decision. (laughs) So I'm curious, yeah, like, yeah, how much just, and it sounds like a lot of it was just, yeah, that felt right on the first take. Let's go with that. Um, Joel, to your point about other folks needing direction and Tim to the scene you brought up, I had that thought too with the the scene with the new boyfriend, right? And he discovers um, that, you know, there's no room for the sun. And so, yeah, I'm curious if they went into the scene, the director said, okay, you know, this is going to escalate and there's going to be a confrontation or just all of a sudden McAvoy notices the thing and like is beating the shit out of the other actor. Not actually, but like in this, right. And like, is that something the other actor knew was coming that it was going to boil to a head and they were going to fight? Is he just kind of like, oh, McAvoy caught onto this thing and we're building up. Did they both get direction that, yeah, you're going to, I'm just curious, like where on the spectrum for that scene and many other scenes, how both the McAvoy and then the receiving actor kind of, you know, went into it and what they knew and how much was improv and how much was just guided. Um, and to the point about earlier in the movie, I think that took me out a little bit too, because I did feel like some of the dialogue early on as he was learning about things and exploring it felt a little bit video game, you know, talking to an NPC and you get the dialogue choices. Like you can reply irritated. You can reply angry. You can reply clueless. I was like, you know, there were certain times where they would say something and like, again, that's on me because I was expecting a big, you know, monumental line every time they'd say something and you just be like, okay. Or "Mm, yeah. And it's like, Oh cool. We're improving. Yeah. Now, but it's supposed to be real. And it's It's yes. And motherfucker. (laughs) Mm, Yeah. Right. Right? You can't just, okay. And that's it. But that's on me for being like, everything needs to be genius writing. Like it's no, it should feel real. A real person's not going to always have 
you know, a monologue every time. They're going to react and learn and process. So I don't know. Yeah, I just found myself thinking about a lot of those decisions and things throughout. That seems really interesting because it's potentially the one where you're most aware of the improv element, I would say. Mm -hmm. Because Frank is at, like... It's like when you're, I don't know, like GMing or DMing a game, like a role-playing game, when somebody's like going in a corridor and there's nothing fucking there and you didn't think of anything that's there, that's how he's acting a little bit. It's like, don't look over here. It's fine. I'm not drugging your ex-wife. She had, like, I can't tell you that she miscarried and she's depressed and she's been taking Ambien to sleep a little bit sometimes. Like, it was really interesting to see him struggle with, questions that he hadn't prepared for or or and it's interesting because like as you get challenged more with those kinds of things it's your character becomes less in the moment and present and acting it becomes these are now the bouncers in the pinball machine we are now get trying to get you back on track rather than like naturalistic acting like these there's a a give and take here so it's it's fascinating because he he, there's a lot of avenues and a lot of information that gets delineated in that scene the history with the wife i've never known her to take a pill why'd you turn off your phone and also the way he's acting that actor is meant to play it ambiguous right we're supposed to question whether he did it or not so he's doing that while also playing like a traffic directing especially essentially like trying to get mcavoy to the information i don't know like it's a really fascinating it's long a lot of these scenes are kind of shorter and chopped up and we kind of we kind of get a break with those gorgeous landscape shots and magic hour and just the moors of scotland just some great cinematic shots but i think that's giving you space between kind of shorter cut scenes because the awkwardness can will wear on you. That's I mean uh, again, improv is not pretty or entertaining all the time. Like it, it, it's hard. It's a difficult thing to get right. I mean that's why nobody goes to these shows. And when people ask you to go to an improv show, you're like, oh god, because there's no like it's so hard. I and that's the thing. It's really interesting to see an actor in the position of the person it's ricocheting against. Like you can't go beyond your, and that's the thing. Like, is that, I I would think as a director, you would want to protect that actor too. Like you need to make sure that they're supported and they don't come off robotic or they don't, they're not responding at like the first level of consciousness of the character. Like they've got all, they've done all of this work for this character. It shouldn't just be, knocking back for McAvoy, you know, it, it should like, that. that's a really difficult thing to navigate. I'd be really like, I'd love to see the making of for this movie. Like that would be fascinating. And also like, I would like to see the original now, I guess that that's more than seeing this one again. I'd be really fascinated to see the first attempt at this because mm-hmm. I imagine McAvoy might have seen that original. So maybe there's certain things that are parallel. I don't know. It, it's a really, fa- I'd be interested to see the variations. I will say that as, as the person who didn't know about the improv, uh, there's a great moment when he's talking to the wife in the kid's room. Um, and he like asks her something and gives her an answer. And he, when he responds, she looks really insulted and shocked and says to him, I thought you were going to apologize again. Because he said, I'm sorry, about eight times during the course of that conversation. And he looks 
utterly blindsided by the fact that she expected that. And it was such a flawless representation of two people who totally thought they were on the same page and then missed each other completely. And I thought that was a great intentional representation of this ex-spouse's relationship. But honestly, knowing that it might have just turned out out of, you know, to be unkind, I guess, blind fumbling by one of them kind of takes away from the scene for me. You know, that on the one hand, and if that is the case, if that was improv, great reaction from her to like nail it home and then from him to be shocked. But on the other hand, yeah, just like, oh, you kind of just fell into this and it was actually just meaningless was that they were just literally didn't know where they were going or what they were doing in this one conversation and not a greater representation of their interactions as fully fledged characters. Oh, yeah, like that's a disappointment, you know? That scene is really, I, I was really plugged, like pulled out of that scene because like, okay, you're the ex-husband and you're going next to her face by the bed. You're waking her up. And the first thing you're doing is like, wake up. I know you had a miscarriage and I'm sorry about it. Like the fucking, how rude. Just See, the most, that, like, that makes sense to so me because dumb. he's so, like I said, the whole first chunk of the movie is his journey through a mess in his own head and we don't know whether he's paranoid or picked up on something right etc so that bit of like oh wow really bad things happened to her and people who care and provide sympathy i'm gonna go be sympathetic now with like he's just so messed up that he's completely not realizing how unbelievably tone deaf this is right right <laughs> like that's something i can help with by by saying that I am sympathetic. Boom. Like, and he just blunders his way into it. I guess he is trying to fast forward through his, like, I know about this. I'm sorry about it. We still have to get our son. Like, he's not, (laughs) I guess that's where it's coming from. Look at me being caring. Also, help me find the kid. That's the thing. My problem wasn't with McAvoy's choices or anything. It's like, the scene is wrong. You should not have. Oh, yeah. It's, no, it's, it's, it's uncomfortable as hell. Don't yeah. do that. It's, it's, <laughs> if you ever talk to her about this, which you probably shouldn't because it's fucked up and you shouldn't know about it, you were told this to calm you the fuck down. It did not have that effect. <laughs> I also like to think that the director told him, okay, you're going to go apologize to, you know, because you found out. And he's like, all right, cool. And then told her, you're going to be asleep. So he has to wake you up. Like, let's make this more awkward, you know, like, cause I mean, cause again, like, you know, if we're assuming that everyone else is scripted, she was told to be asleep when he got there. So it's not just a conversation we're having. It's like, no, she's getting sleep. And, and of course the first thing she says, Oh, is there news? You know? So it's like, no, you're not waking her up to give her good news. You're waking her up to give her some dumbass apology. Our kids bed to wake me. Right. <laughs> Other than for some perfect, for good reason. Yeah. I will say that my, my biggest plot complaint is that house that they were building that has no room for him. Because right. then he never when he talks it. about it with her, the wife is like, oh, yeah, we were excited about that house. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait, so you knew there was no kids room and you were on board with this? Well, and she talks about it like we talked about it with the kid. So the kid was also excited about it. Like that, that she explains it, but there's no room for the kid. And it's weird that there's no room for the right. kid. So what did they tell him? Oh, that's going to be mommy and daddy's vacation house. Screw you. Did they tell what? him we're going to send you to boarding school and you can sleep on our couch in the summer? Like, I I really, I'm very confused about that. Were they going to keep the main house and just, I, I don't know. That, I feel like that didn't get resolved anywhere. And again, not that the rest of the plot necessarily resolved perfectly, but generally things had a reason for being. 
you know, the two the two things that come out of nowhere and then just disappear again are the police raiding his business and the house. <laughs> Those are the two things. Everything else, you know, kind of fits fits well. Yeah, like part of what I was wondering about that was like, is there another floor of blueprints where there's like another upstairs that just wasn't there for some reason? And like, and the way he's like going to explain it, but he's like, now listen, you know, like he doesn't actually, it looks like he has some bullshit explanation, but never gets to it. Mm-hmm. And again, is and that part of the improv? Is finished like, when he gets to the basement and is like, oh, well, it's all great. Maybe some more glass. But you know, the only thing left is we don't know what to do with the basement. There's very much an implication that the house is, is finished. Yeah. So I, I don't know. Also, he drops that thing about like his mom's shack that he's going to get rid of. Like that was definitely a red herring where it's like, this is where the kid might be, you know, like it, it, it's that, that for performance is so fascinating because he's having to, there's all these plates in the air and he, he's driving a lot of it. And he, he's dealing with McAvoy when there's no way of predicting what way he's going to go at the end. He gets punched. Like that's so fascinating. There's so, so much rides on that one scene on it. Like it's almost like the, the climax or maybe like just in terms of like, it's a pinnacle. So that's it's a how peak. he gets Frank's phone, which gives yeah. him the evidence, which, yeah, that's the, the moment that everything begins. He heads down that road unknowingly. Do you want to move on to favorite scenes? If you all even have any. <laughs> Sounds like you didn't, <laughs> didn't like it too much. <laughs> um, I mean, I have a sort of, I mean, it, it's kind of a favorite scene, but also it is kind of a, also a, a through line. Um, I know we don't normally do that, but um, so one of the things I, I really liked that I thought was, you know, again, because the, the beginning of this, we're dealing with his paranoia. And then it moves on to, you know, the the whole thing with, uh, you know, when the police, I don't know if he's the chief or whatever, when he shows up at his house and he's like, don't talk, give me your phone, puts it in the mic. You know, it's like, oh, okay. Like there's something going on here. Like, and and the fact that the, the, the that he is kind of confiding in him, like, I feel like adds so much more, like we move from the paranoia into legitimacy. Like, like you're not just being paranoid, like, especially because the scene before that, the, the, and this is another thing I want to come back to in a second, you know, where it's like, you know, you've been arrested, you just beat this guy's ass, you know, blah, blah, blah. The fact that, like, you know, he ends up being the one, you know, he kind of gives him that clue. He's the one who comes back and, like, gets the wife and kid at the end, and he's the one kind of take, you know. So I kind of realized, like, how important his character was to the whole thing. And it makes me wonder. So I thought back to the scene where that guy is talking to McAvoy after he gets out of jail. And he's like, you know, you are wasting your time, you know? And I like, it almost makes me wonder, like, did he know that there's maybe some child sex ring going on or something? Like, you got to think that, you know, especially once we find out later that the guy's like, yeah, I just pick up the kids and drop them off this location. So this isn't the first time this has happened. Like, there have been kids. This is a process these guys have been doing. So in somewhere in the general vicinity, like there have been kids getting kidnapped that have not shown up ever again, you know? So is this the type of thing where this guy has seen this happen and he knows like, it's not your wife's boyfriend. There's this bigger picture thing you're, you know, and you're not going to find out about it if you keep chasing these dead ends. You know, so what I was wondering is like, is he, was he telling him like, you're wasting your time not to be like, go home and shut up. We'll take care of this. But there's there's a trail you need to follow but that's not it you know 
And I also, it made me think back farther. Is that really why he was asking him about his job and being like, Oh, like, like Scott, you said he has kind of a shady job. We find that out. Is that what the cop wanted to find out? Because, Oh, if your job is shady enough, you might be the type of person who can go outside the law and tear this thing down, you know? So like, it just like, like looking back on some of those scenes, like it almost makes me, you know, it's almost like this. Uh, and I thought this a few times, you know, is he almost like this Obi-Wan Kenobi kind of character? Like, okay, you have the potential to be this weapon that I can point in the direction of the real big bad that I can't do anything about, but maybe you can, you know, like, like has this like this this police chief known about yeah children have been being kidnapped and it's been happening you know every now and then like regular enough where it's not just like oh it's a random one random sicko who kidnapped a kid and then the kid shows up dead later i feel like that's when i hear stuff like that on the news a lot of time that's usually how it is like this kid went missing and a week later oh we found that kid in pieces but if these kids are being sent into some sex ring, like those kids are never heard of again, you know, and, you know, that that's going to be something that this commission, this, this commissioner or, or chief has been dealing with, you know, and it's like, okay, here's another kid. Oh, but wait a minute. This isn't some generic townsfolk guy who, you know, works at, you know, the local mill or whatever. And, you know, this guy has some shady business that takes him all over the world. He's had to be in situations where maybe he has a specific set of skills, you know, like maybe this is what the, 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 the chief was thinking, you know, and it's like, okay, like, you know, we want, and, and maybe that's part of it too. Maybe the chief has also been working under the umbrella of, oh, these other people came in and it's part of a bigger investigation, which, like, I've always got to wonder in a case like that, I, I mean, I feel like, you know, again, not from real life, but on TV, where you have one person walking into a situation, you know, this this sort of small-time cop, and it's like, oh, look, I just busted this drug dealer. And it's like, no, you idiot, you ruined a sting we've been working on for 10 years, and we told you to stay out of it, and you didn't. And because you didn't, we ruined it and lost all the evidence we were building has this been an ongoing investigation where the higher ups are like, well, we need to let a kid get kidnapped every now and then so we can get closer to what's actually been right. happening. And that was definitely that's why it, with yeah. why the crown, like the, the people who was more important, like higher up than anybody in Scotland calling and like, stop, yeah. you know, it yeah. definitely, it hinted towards the, this bigger thing and you don't find out anything about it. Like, again, it's, right. it's, it's back to grounded on this one guy and that that's the POV that we have. And that's all the information he gets because the cops aren't giving him any Jason Bourne information. You know, this is right. not, he's not an ex cop who's got context who can kind of, I, it, it's really interesting. Got it, it really messes with the grammar of that type of movie because we're only getting as much information as he's clever enough to ask for, you know, and mm-hmm. like that, that's, that's really fascinating yeah so yeah so uh, like and again it's 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 hard to narrow that down into one scene in particular but just that whole like their interaction and how their interaction changes and how that um you know that gives i think that gives mcavoy enough information number one it, it lets him know that you know yeah this isn't your wife's boyfriend if that was the case i wouldn't be told to step out of this you know and you know, and the fact that like, I can't do anything about this, but you can, you know, so it kind of, 
sets him on that path. And it's like, okay, like there is something here. This is like, I, I am justified in kind of following up on this. And, um, you know, yeah. And, and just the fact that like that guy, I feel like, um, you know, at the end when, when he tells her, Oh, like, you know, yeah, call the police. I found, you know, go to this place. Like he's the one there. Cause it's like, Oh good. Like I was hoping you were going to, you know, kind of follow this through to the end. And now I'm going to take care of you. Like, yes, technically you have to be arrested and go to, you know, because, yeah, he's sitting in the front seat of the cop car with him. He's not in the back. Like he didn't arrest him. He didn't put him in cuffs. He didn't say you're a criminal, but like he's sitting in the passenger seat with him. Like, you know, like he's been his kind of unofficial vigilante partner this whole time. And so he's kind of being his advocate and everything. So, so I really, I really liked that. That was kind of like a subtle thing that kind of happens, but it was also really, you know, really interesting that it had to, I think, happen that way. And also it gives the, I think it gave the film more momentum, you know, because again, he, you know, his big thing was him, you are wasting your time, like stop chasing after the wrong people, you know, and the fact that like, one night he's telling him you have to sit around and wait for the police to do this. Then the next day he's like, no, you, you can't sit around and wait for the police to do this, you know? So that's kind of what launches it into sort of the, the second portion of it, right? We've got the paranoia of the beginning. We've got that, that confirmation in the middle that you have to pursue something. And then we get that sort of next stone that gets unturned. Like, you know, like we said, the tension of when he's, you know, terrorizing that guy, like, Oh God, is he in the wrong, wrong direction? Like, Oh nope he's not okay so we can go into the the third section of this where it's like you know the the the, the archer rampage you know <laughs> yeah so those i think those were you know my my favorite scenes however you want to kind of lump that um also another thing that that was interesting and i don't know if this was just me losing like forgetting something or if this was part of the way it was constructed on purpose, but it made it an extra surprise that 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 cop shows up at the end is that I forgot that when she goes to that location, like my concern was she's going to see the guy being tort who was tortured and she's going to call the police on Mac. That's in my notes. God, you're taking my talking point. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, then no, yeah, no, if no. you're going to talk about it, I'll, I'll stop talking. You no, talk no. about it. Well, it's one of my two favorite scenes was, but I think what you were exactly going to say was, is she going to show up and tortured guy is going to say, oh, I'm so glad you're here, stranger who came down the road. Some lunatic came and tortured me. And then, like, she's going to bring the police after him. But instead, she looks in the car and she finds the kid. I was so relieved. Yeah. Because, oh, now she knows what's up. Like, she knows everything. That was so of fascinating course, to but... me. It felt like a, a thread where they had to pick it up. Because, like, McAvoy went to that location, didn't check the car. It was like, oh, shit, he didn't check the car. What do we do? Yeah. So she's been monitoring. So she has to go in and do it. Like, it was just, that was, it was just an interesting, like, and, but it also, it contributed to, she's the kind of person who is going to go and do the thing. So when she goes to the second house, okay, it, it's logical progression that she's just sit of, sitting on her hands. So that, it was like a little, little bit of an irritation. And then, okay, it resolves because it's now part of that character's interaction. And it's, it's one of only a couple of moments they completely break from his POV in the film. You mentioned that, Tim, but we, basically everything he sees, we see, and that's it. You know, we'll see the room he's in, but we don't see outside that room unless he goes and looks out of a window or steps through a doorway. You know, and it's not full-on first person or anything, and they don't do a lot of excessive over-the-shoulder work, but they manage anyway to keep our entire perception 
only what his character can receive, except for a handful of times, especially as we get to the end. And that scene where the wife shows up is one of them. And the other one is my other favorite. Admittedly, when the film commits to its regular man taken bit, it kind of loses the edge it had, balancing the paranoia and suspicion. But it's when they're, the criminals are looking through the house and the one guy shoots his buddy. That was great, not just in a satisfying way, but in that in the broader new real world sense about news and things and people talk about about criminals and police and armies. You know, you'll sometimes see these videos clips of, of military units training, like Navy SEALs or whoever, where they do something stupid. Um the most recent I remember was some team practicing to storm a ship for hostages, you know, like a boat. And they have those hatches, so there's like a good foot of clearance between the door and the ground and the the commando like trips over the door and stumbles, falls through and like, Fuh. and it's hilariously embarrassing, you know, and the joke is people will watch that and go, Oh, they're our best. But like, but the point is they are because they do that in training a thousand times. So when they are storming a real ship, they just do it. But real people in the most random people like you and me, we do not train these things a thousand times and people will grab their gun and be like, oh, I'm going to go clear out this place full of bad guys. Like, nope, you're more likely to trip over it and shoot yourself in the mouth. And so that's what happened here. Like he was like, oh, I'm going to go hunt for this guy. I told my friend to stay put. I'm going to be the, the big guy. And it's like, nope, actually, you're just an asshole with a pistol. Congratulations. You know, you played yourself. It was such a great little moment of like in keeping with the way that McAvoy is a bit of a regular guy who doesn't just maybe one everybody, the criminals aren't also this like shady network of evil James Bonds who all have world domination. You know, they're also just random dudes handed guns and hired to do bad things. And it it was a nice touch. Yeah, I think the 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 scene with like him not finding the kid, like I wonder if that's part of number one. Cause like I didn't I didn't notice that at first. I didn't think, oh, you should check the back of the truck. You know, because I think by the time, you know, he's on that guy, it's like, okay, I knocked him out. I have to tie him up. I have to interrogate him to find my son, you know, whereas like her kind of showing up. I mean, and I think we needed that. We needed to have the tension of not knowing until the guy says it, because if he, if McAvoy had looked in the truck, then we would know, okay, he's definitely a kidnapper. But we, he, I think the director want us to have that tension of, is this, should this person be being tortured or not you know and and i think because of just like the sequence of events of yeah like okay you've got to sneak around because this guy is here okay you've knocked him out you've got to tie him up before he wakes up well you've got to wake him up because he might know where your son is you know so i I think there's no logical point where mcavoy would have said well i'm gonna let him rest for a while let me go look around and check out his truck real quick you know and then once he found out like like, okay, yeah, like I said, now he's on a rampage. Yeah, like, he doesn't have time right to look now, around. Hyper-focus. Yeah, he's going to that next location, you know. So I think, it, you know, it made it made perfect sense that he wouldn't have checked there, but it made sense that she would have checked there to kind of, as she's kind of scoping out the location, like, all right, this guy's here, he's tortured, he's knocked out, you know. Um, the movie also needs her to take the, the other kid to the hospital because mm-hmm. he doesn't have time to do that either right. is another thing. But I don't know. I, the more I look at it, some of it justifies it's more and some of it's like, ah, it's kind of clunky. So that, that's a little bit of what it is for me, but like, yeah, yeah. no, for sure. Like, yeah, he's, he's dude just burned feet off. Like he's, he's leaving the premises. He's going to the second location. Also like, you know, part of talk about that scene too. Like um, I think one of you were talking about earlier about that guy, like how clearly he's convinced himself that what he is doing isn't that bad. Um, 
the fact that like when McAvoy hears him on the phone, oh, I'm gonna grab something to eat. I'm kind of hungry. Like the fact that he just has this unconscious kid in his truck. He's like, I'm gonna go make a sandwich real quick. You know, like like I feel like that. Like originally when you hear that line, it's like, oh, like he's just a regular dude who just got home and he's gonna have some food. You know, and but again, like how how sinister it makes it when you you know, yeah, that he's just like he's not like, oh man, I've got this kid. Like, what am I doing with my life? It's like I'm hungry. I gotta eat a sandwich. And then I'll take the unconscious kid to, to your place where it can go get fucked by some dudes, you know, like yeah. no big deal. You know, I'm not like Cumberbatch and atonement. It's the same, yeah. same kind of casualness. Like, yeah. Just... Yeah. What are some of your favorite scenes, Joel? I, I thought it was really interesting that we don't see him take the guy out with the fire extinguisher. It turns him in a little bit to like Jason a little bit. We get to see Jason behind the scenes, a bit behind the mask where it, He's dra- that's the thing. Like if he's lose- using the flat tire and then the missing people as lures, it's a great idea. But he is having to drag that guy out of uh, sight to hide him. So it's like you're seeing Jason hang the bodies, which it was. It, it was an interesting. I liked that. I liked that we he you saw what he chose and he walked around and you didn't see that. And I thought that was a really effective um, sequence. Um. Just, I mean, McAvoy acting is, is incredible in it. Like they're, they're, I, the, the scene in the ambulance, or the, the uh, taking him, the yeah, the paddy wagon, yeah, for him to be taken into custody, I thought was really fat. I guess it was an armored car. Um, I, I really enjoy, that was where the awkwardness of the improv and kind of the, the, the different grammar for those dialogue interactions was so much more, I don't know. It, it was more acceptable. I felt like the things that he was saying and the, the that's the scene that was elevated for me. Learning that it was improv. Yeah. And the other one was kind of ruined when I learned it was improv. Mm-hmm. This one was great because they don't say a word to him. Yeah. And he says that at one point, "Are you going to say anything?" He took my son, knowing that he, the other actors, are presumably instructed to just be silent. Yeah. And McAvoy just took that and exploded with it. Is great. And that's the thing, like the, the pacing of it, the length of that scene is is weird. It, it's not a scene you would see in a regular Hollywood blockbuster. You, blockbuster. you wouldn't get that coda at the end because the interaction would be like he's looking down, cut. And then, but he looks back up as like, you aren't going to say anything? Like that, that emotional moment is something that happens in real life and you're butting up against bureaucracy and people who are having to to like do this thing because of these circumstances. And you're just like, can't you be a freaking human for a second? And I just thought that was really powerful and something you don't see. Like you get the sense of that, but it's kind of twee to say it, say it, I guess maybe that's why it's not written in scripts that way. But like when he, you just feel it, man, there's the, it was, that was, I liked that a lot. It was, it was, an interesting aspect to that kind of interaction you don't really see. You get the tear, you get the chir- like tear choked, like John Q, like like the good, like the the really good speech. You know, I'm justifying these things that I'm having to do, and you get that kind of catharsis. But no, not in this. It doesn't allow you that. It's he's stuck in this box and he's wasted his time because he reacted as only he could because he's so twisted by this thing. He's so worried that he's just gone to this this extreme and it it is fascinating. And what about you, Zeke, our movie selector? Yeah, I think the ones for me were a couple that kind of up the stakes and kind of 
represented some tonal shifts with the movie. So the first one, um, he's when he's in the room by himself, he's just heartbroken, looking at old pictures, old videos, and then, you know, starts to see some things, sees the same truck and everything kind of clicks for him. And it, for his character, it feels like it's something where it, it shifts from, you know, my son is lost. Everything's kind of out of my control. I'm a little bit powerless right now uh, to, oh shit, no, I, I know some stuff and I can figure this out and I can track it down and, and, and bring my son back. Um, I feel like that's one of the first moments where we start to see that part of his character come out. Um, and then the other one too was just the, uh, I think it's come up a couple of times, but the interaction with the, the detective or the officer and, um, specifically where he comes up and lets him know that the, that his phone's wiretapped and just gives him the signal and he can kind of get a glimpse at the relationship they have together, but it also, again, is a tonal shift and it ramps things up to go from, you know, he's proceeding and he's trying to piece things together to like, hey, you know, there are bigger forces at work, you know, and and just to have the, the detective seemingly on his side there too was, was a big shift, I think, in how he could operate for the rest of the movie. So the last conversation was you're wasting our time. So mm-hmm. for the detective to now specifically show up and wink, wink, nudge, nudge, imply that there's no more time to be wasted. Yeah. This is a huge deal. Absolutely. That's yeah. great. I really like the first scene with, or like maybe it's the second scene with that inspector where he's organizing the search party through the woods. Mm-hmm. It just felt so, it felt like found footage. It felt like this yeah. was a search and rescue. This was B-roll footage of the uh, camera crew that got it. Just the way that he talked, the way that he gathered everybody together and just, I don't know, like, from the, I was like, is this guy actually a constable or whatever? Mm-hmm. Like, is this his job? Because that's the way, the way he delivered things and he talked about, like, I need a certain thing signed to be able to release this or to drop this file. That whole, the way he delivered things felt like he knew it. I don't know. It, 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 he didn't seem like an actor. He felt like just like that's his job. And I, like, I don't know if it was because he was that good an actor or if, he, like, I don't know. It was, it was, that was interesting too. It's interesting with one character who is so clearly an actor being improving off of all these people, the the way the characters around him respond and are drawn is really fascinating to like what what those characters become. Like very clearly what that constable was, very kind of hard-nosed, like one line, this is the letter of the law, we're going to do it. And so, like, that's why it's interesting when it turns, you know, like, the, the, it, it's the perception of that character. And, I don't know, in, in, in response and conversation with Frank's character as how it's interacting with McAvoy and what purpose it has to serve and how, when it butts up. And that's the thing. When, when there's those interactions with that inspector, you're also getting those improv moments where it's like, he has lines and information to give, but McAvoy has to trigger him and cer- certain or, or prompt him to and 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 take certain information from it. it, it so that it's interesting the way that builds that relationship builds becomes more and more intimate and nuanced. I, it had to have been shot sequential, right? Like I feel like it it gets better and better too. Like it, I feel like it gets less and less awkward the further it goes on. I think that's true, yeah. I also wonder, too, and I don't know if this is just trying to justify my own theories and my own headcanon, but 
um, you know, like what I was saying earlier about like, you know, is part of why he's on his side because these kidnappings have been happening kind of often. So as part of his kind of, you know, and, and, you know, maybe the way that actors handling this is, you know, has a director told him you've been doing one of these like once a week for the past six months or whatever, you know? So he's kind of like part of him being so like methodical is like, yeah, like, I mean, you would hope that most of the time, you know, the police aren't dealing with a kidnapping and okay, how we're going to do this search party and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, uh, how do we do it? But he, you know, maybe he was so methodical because he's been getting tons of practice. And then maybe that was part of it where it's like, you're not doing it like, oh my God, this horrible thing happened. What do we do? It's like, yep, this has become, you know, the norm around here. Do the search party, everyone at two meter in, you know, or, you know, whatever, you know, two meter intervals, do this, don't touch anything. Like, like he's, you know, he's done it so many times, you know, maybe that's, you know, maybe that was part of it and part of the, the, yeah, the direction for the actor is that like, you know, this isn't, um, <laughs> this isn't your first rodeo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So I don't know if I'm ruining your thunder here, Zeke, but I do actually have a situational movie recommendation this time. Okay. Um, I've, I I've got one too. To so we can. Now, but I wanted to mention. Okay. Yeah. I've got a shortish one. I don't know. We'll see what yours oh, is and we can go I mean, from no, there. It's your film, so go for it. Okay. Uh, I'm curious we... to see what yours is, though, too. What were you going to say, Joe? I mean, I, I just. I, did we have any, like, did we want to talk about anything else? I feel like we've kind of beat it to death and it's an uncomfortable subject matter to, like, I want to make sure we, we could get to talk about everything everybody wanted to talk about. Again, cinematography was really great. I just mm-hmm. thought it really good landscape. Stuff. I mean, Scotland's gorgeous. Like, every every shot was amazing. So that that that'll be the last thing I say. Before, my favorite segment, which I'll put right here. It is, it is time for another situational movie <laughs> recommendation. <laughs> which is in contest, contestation. It's under <laughs> duress. <laughs> Too situational. Quick... No, go for yeah. it. Mine's a quick one. I don't know if it'll go anywhere, so we can maybe pivot to another one, which is kind of what I was hoping for anyway, but I was just curious if there were any other movies that have drawn you in with a gimmick or not to say that this, what this is, but I, again, I don't think I would have picked it if I didn't know that McAvoy's lines were unscripted. Um, I know there are some other movies that were shot a particular way or, you know, certain acting was for lack of a better word, gimmicky. I was just curious if there was anything that comes to mind for you. I don't want to say favorite because, you know, but just an, a movie experience that was built on a gimmick, I guess. I mean, I feel like I went to see 1917 because it was billed as seemingly one continuous shot. Uh, and that, uh-huh. that I, I don't know that I would have seen it. Like, I mean, it, it looked good, but I thought that that was the thing that kind of pushed me over the edge. The subject matter is not my favorite or the thing I'm most entertained by. Yeah, see, I was in on that. No, I know. So. But that that was the thing yeah. where it was like, Oh, that, that's a reason to go. Like, I, there's a, we get a lot of war movies. They're, they're, they're go all over the, the map in terms of quality. This one, this, this is an interesting way to, to do it again. And a great idea to can kind of take the sensibility of the path is passive glory, kind of the trench shot and kind of it blow it up into the size of this World War One film. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I thought that was fascinating. It wasn't in, in on that. Um, that's a good one. Yeah. I'm having trouble thinking of gimmicky movies that I actually saw. Mm. 
you know, there was that first person film at some point back. Oh uh, yeah. That one. Yeah. That was good. Yeah. See, I haven't had that one on my list. I haven't seen it either. Um, Oh, I loved it for the 15 minutes. I could watch it before I was nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) It's good. It's I would 3d. Right. And that was really good 3D. It actually yeah. worked and made me think maybe people should be doing this. But and then they did again, it for another five like years. And I saw it. <laughs> right. I don't know. I feel like Avatar is one for me. Hot take. <laughs> yeah. I don't really like Avatar. Like I mean, it's. But I feel like it's one that is especially lauded for its visuals. Right. Like yeah. so, you have to go see it in the theater because, and that's true. Like it is a very beautiful movie. I think story wise. Eh. Yeah. <laughs> I'll probably go see Avatar 2 because same thing, like, oh, that's one that you should go see on the big screen. No. Um, but... The Artist. Silent film. Ooh, yes. Uh-huh. That's a good call. Yeah. That's, oh, I was so great. in on that. Phenomenal that's, movie, yeah, I so. liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah. That's a good one. I think one for me, and it's kind of a half answer, but um, Hateful Eight, because I would have seen Hateful Eight anyway, but... 70 millimeter. Exactly. Tarantino rolled out 70 millimeter screenings for hateful eight. And I went inside Joel. Did we go see that together? Yes, we did. Yeah. So yeah, I went to go see the, the 70 millimeter specific, like certain theaters were showing that. And had an intermission too. Yeah. Yeah. To change out the film and everything. And I feel like that specifically was, that was on my list as, because I would have seen it in any random theater, but being drawn to a specific theater to see it on a certain type of film is about as gimmicky as I can think of. Yeah. Sin City's selective black and white was really neat. Mm. The way it's mostly a black and white film, but then the certain colors are present mm. at certain points. I totally, they re-released uh, Mad Max Fury Road in the silver mm. and chrome black and white version, which I ended up buying later, but I never got to see it in theaters that way. But I was so, like, I loved that movie, but I wanted to see it in black and white on a big screen. I kind of had the opposite. I loved it, and I thought, I don't think black and white's going to do anything for me with this. I don't know. And I, I'll give it a shot someday, and we'll see. Maybe I'll eat my words. But It, it adds, I mean, it, it, it's a, a different the lacquer of paint on it. Like, well, it right, just, but the it's an interesting language of a film is a hugely important you know, factor in its presentation. Black and white completely changes the way that light plays with dark in all sorts of places. Colors that are are noticeable in color suddenly become a gray that's just lost in black and white sometimes. I mean, it's certainly a different, but I don't know that I want that film to be different, and I don't know that any visual alteration for me, you know, would would make it better or worse. So again, I'll give it a shot someday, but... I just wanted a new, another excuse to watch it again. I was like, oh, let's see. Like, um, I'm trying to think of other gimmicky. I think for me, like back in the day, Memento, like that was one of the first mm. things I heard about it was that it was like told backwards, mm. you know? So like the, yeah, the way it was told and how half of it was in black and white, like that whole thing was intriguing. Whereas like, um, you know, I, I mean, I think part of it too is like, you can't, tell much about the story without giving it away or you know the fact that the you know him having the the memory condition um so i feel like that was that was somewhat gimmicky except you know when you see it i feel like it's not gimmicky like it's a way of telling the story from the main character's perspective because a scene starts and you don't know how you got there just like him um i think from what i remember following it was more gimmicky because i think following is also told that same way but there's no reason within the story why it has to be told that um 
but yeah, that was definitely something where, yeah, it was, it was presented as a gimmick, but I was like, no, this is just, you know, a, a specific way of filmmaking to fit the story that's being told. Um, you know, and, and you, yeah, you can't tell that story without doing that because then it ruins the whole, like where the climax is and where the beginning and ending are and all that stuff. You know, it's like, it's a fully organic experience, but, but in the beginning, that was the gimmick that it was sort of like under, um, you know, like, oh, this is the movie that's told backwards. You know? I think it, Les Mis, when, when they advertise this most recent adaptation as live recorded voice for each take, I, that was a gimmick that got me. Like, I, I love that musical. I love that story. But the reason I went in theater to see it with, with some questionable uh, uh, gladiator singing in the beginning, I would say. <laughs> um, but, like, it, that was definitely something that got me to go see it was, oh, Anne Hathaway's, like, mic'd live for every take in this thing. Like, I, I, I thought that was, I mean, Broadway does it all the time and twice on Sunday. But, like... It, it, it just it was really cool to see kind of the uh, uh, theater production of a, a I mean ye old like classic and do it up that authentic and and try to get it as close to a, a synergy between the live show and a cinematic experience. I thought that that was something that really motivated me to see that version. I just had the opposite because until <laughs> then I hadn't realized that half the musicals I watched weren't live mics. <laughs> And I was like, oh, wait, like, you mean that's not how they've been doing it since, like, 2005? <laughs> oh, that's kind of dumb. I'm, I wonder if there's a good reason for it. You know, like, if maybe it just, it's really hard to not pick up costume crackle when they're jumping around sets. Like, you know, who knows? But, so then I watched it and couldn't tell. It was like, this looks just <laughs> as good and just as dead on as, so I, maybe that's just not something I can notice in a film, you know, the type of thing that I'm attuned to, but... It was definitely a case of, oh, yeah. And then, and similarly, you know, I've had a lot of people tell me the sinning is mediocre, but I think maybe those people just need to see more musicals because, <laughs> like, it wasn't, you know, when I've, when I've gone to shows on Broadway or elsewhere, there are, there are moments sometimes that just, you know, they give you chills and the music physically impacts you like a wall as it comes from the people on stage. And no film has ever done that for me. And neither did Les Mis. Okay. Shrug. But like it wasn't supposed to, I don't know. I, like, I think the expectation that it was going to be as impactful as as sitting as being in a theater was a, a foolish thing for for them to project, you know, for the film. And I was like, I, yeah, like that's sort of that's where most of my conversations are. Like, oh well, you know, when you're on stage, you don't want to sit with this technique or that way or et cetera. You do it differently. Like, yeah, but they weren't on stage though. Like, right. I don't know, right? Just like. <laughs> Yeah, go watch Maybe me in St. Louis and come back and tell me if Les Mis is bad, <laughs> or uh, My Fair Lady, <laughs> the film. Yeah. yeah, that's most of most of the criticism I hear about those live musicals, like the the film versions, is from theater people who are like, they should have hired these theater actors who are much better singers than the the Hollywood actors they've hired, and it's like. Sure, but like they're they're stage actors. This is the film, you know. I think like that's that's one of the things that I've seen is like it is it is a different muscle, and there are some actors who can do both. Oh, yeah. I was just but, thinking like, about like Ian McKellen and um, like what Ian McKellen and oh yeah and Patrick, Patrick Stewart. Stewart yeah, yeah. James or Nathan fucking Lane yeah yeah <laughs> you put yeah. some respect on his lane. And even then, you know, we've we've seen Patrick Stewart sing occasionally. I don't know that I've seen him in a film musical, but I've right. seen him on film or television before. And again, 
it doesn't strike me as necessarily any better than Les Mis was, right? right? But but he can sing, you know, we know he can, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I agree with you, Sam. I think the medium is just different, different standards. Yeah, plus recording versus live performance, you know, like there is a sterility to recording, you know, in terms of, you know, yeah, like you're not, you're not getting the resonance of the concert hall that the, 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 you know, the musical production is being performed on. It's, it's speakers and it's, and it's, and, you know, there's, there's leveling and, you know, and, um, you know, compression and all that, you know, so it's like, you're trying to create this kind of, you know, yeah, it, it ends up being a lot of times, I think a very sterile environment, you know, and how it's trying to mix with and Oh yeah. Like you were saying like the costume, Scott, like, yeah, that's something you don't hear on stage. You're never going to hear, Oh, you know, that person who's like 50 feet away from me, I can hear the rustling of their costume over their mic singing through the, the, the hall or whatever, you know, it's like, whereas with, yeah, like that, you know, when you're making a film, you've got to get all those details. Otherwise you lose that sense of reality. And yeah. So I'm, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's fair. I think what they were trying to do with the live recording was this idea that they would capture the spirit of the character better when the actor was on stage or um, right. on set and clothed and had other actors in front of them to yeah. talk to rather than when 10 people are lined up in a recording booth, which right. I think was not a bad idea necessarily. Oh, yeah. yeah. But I don't know that it reflected for me any differently, you know, for the effort we put in. Curious about another gimmick. Like, wasn't. Uh, um... In Yurito's follow-up to Birdman, the one with the Re- Revenant, is that the one with the one that Leo finally won for? Wasn't that oh. all shot with natural light? Wasn't that the gimmick? Gotcha. I feel like that, and then, I mean, I don't know, this is more method, but, like, I know Leo, like, slept in a bear carcass, right? right? Like, yeah. things like that. But yeah, I didn't and I know mean, about the natural light part. I think that was part of it. Like, I, I don't I don't remember if that's exactly what, but I, I was going to see the, the next in Yurito filmed after Birdman regardless sight unseen I was going to go but like that added to it that it was like mm. this is the one that nearly killed Leo and thank god we finally recognized <laughs> right. the man you know <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that because I, I remember very distinctly well I guess I mean hell maybe it was the room but it was some some making of where the people were complaining about the cinematographer or the director only using natural mm-hmm. light and they had some scene that took place at twilight. So they got like two, two cracks at it a day and the schedule just ballooned as they needed oh, to take, take, Kubrick. To take. Kubrick has a Maybe. period drama that's but shot I thought with it natural was something light. much more recent because they, the point was they were making was like that people have been doing this since the eighties with artificial light. Like, why can't we just, you know, and we're now standing here in 2000, whatever, like, screw you, just do it. You know, and I, don't know, I wish I could remember what the production was, but that's that's funny you mentioned natural light shooting as a gimmick because of course <laughs> once upon a time it would have been the fact of life right, right. <laughs> well i mean hell even even kurosawa's one wonderful sunday is shot almost entirely at night including all the scenes that take place during the day right but you can't tell yeah. and when did he make that was that early 50s or late 40s i think so it's it's right in there with stray dog yeah. and because the whole point was well story but they weren't allowed to necessarily show the full extent of American post-war occupation. And during the day, the streets were filled with Americans. So we had to shoot at night. So it didn't look like half his extras were, you know, American. <laughs> Another one I thought of was uh, Blair Witch Project. 
I feel like specifically <laughs> around the marketing, <laughs> right? But yeah. yeah, it was like, hey, this is real found footage. <laughs> I feel like a lot of people bought into that and saw it and were terrified of it because of that. And horror in general, part of activity and others, they'll show you the theaters yeah. full of people and they'll like show you people walking out or like jumping in their seats or what have you. Yeah. Hey, you should come see this. <laughs> I feel like I hadn't seen this one, but I feel like Paranormal Activity had such a good gimmick. Like the premise was so good that got a lot of people who's like, "Oh, mm-hmm. this is." I haven't seen any of those because I ain't fucking with that. <laughs> I don't need that. <laughs> I don't need those kind of images on that kind of screen. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's what made yeah, that's what made Paranormal Activity worse. Like it took that idea of like the found footage, but said we're going to put it in a home, not out yeah. in the woods somewhere where you can just don't go in the woods. Like right. this is your home, you know. And that's yeah, that to me, that's what made uh, Paranormal Activity worse. In a home where people are sleeping, much like you sleep in your home. <laughs> yeah, have fun tonight. Think about that. You too can lose sleep over this nonsense. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I think one of the, I haven't seen the film yet. It's on my list, uh, but Unsane with, with also with Claire Foy, uh, where I, I think that's supposedly all filmed using an iPhone. And I think the the idea behind it is supposed to be because like she thinks she has like this stalker, and then she ends up in an, like an insane asylum, and she thinks that her stalker works there, and like that that's part of it. And like so, I think the whole idea is it's supposed to be like it's shot from his perspective, like filming her with oh. his phone as he's following her. So it's supposed to add this extra, you know, you're not you're not watching it on a on a movie screen shot with a you know super expensive camera you're watching it from the point of view of her, her stalker, you know, on the phone, like this is the footage. So it's like, yeah, kind of adding that found footage kind of element to it. Maybe Um, again, I haven't seen it yet. I don't know if it's good. I I really want to see it. That sounds really, that's one of the things that made me want to see it more so than just like, Oh, it's this paranoid, you know, thriller. But yeah, the fact that that adds this extra layer of, you know, I'm, I'm assuming the point is like, are you watching it from the perspective? Like, does she actually have a stalker? Does she not like, are you, you know, and you know, I don't know if that's going to come to the end of it where it's like, you're the stalker. You've been watching her the whole time on your phone, you know, like that type of thing. Uh, but it's intriguing enough where I want to see it. I want to see like how that plays into it. I'm thinking now about the lighthouse, that aspect ratio, that film technique in black and white. I still haven't seen that one yet. Oh, Scott. I know. I know. See that it's movie. Near the top of the list. I know, oh. yeah. It's, it's yeah, I want to see it too, but yeah, I haven't gotten gotten to it. Scott, it, it is so your alley, it hurts. Like the fact you haven't seen it is it, it's coming. Zeke knows. Zeke oh, yeah. it. <laughs> that was quite the right. <laughs> we tried to see that together, it didn't end up working out. And mm-hmm. we, we really haven't talked about it since because <laughs> that was a crazy one. <laughs> That's a good one. I also want to hear Scott's. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, let's do a second one. Yeah, let's double it up. On board. Or, uh, mine was just, what's your favorite remake? Because this is oh. technically the director remaking his own movie. Hmm. We can save that for our oh, time, wow. too. No, I want to do it. Let's do it. I miss yeah. you guys. <laughs> let's talk about I, movies I longer. I like this because remake is such a broad... Oh, yeah. You know, I, I loved Little Women, the most recent... Was that 2020 mm. they made that? Whatever. Yeah. It was phenomenal, but is that technically a remake or is that just them adopting the book again in a separate production? Right. I wouldn't argue with you one way or the other. I just, I was thinking about how many things do and don't count or, um, uh, heat, the really long 
Michael Mann film is technically a remake. I guess there was a TV movie by the name. Oh, interesting. Not oh, even wow. by the name Heat. Right, but like, but then is that really a remake? Or did he adapt right. the TV movie? <laughs> or like, did he just think, oh, it's a good idea, I'm going to make a movie. I, right, but my two proper, proper, proper in quotations, if you will, <laughs> are Ocean's Eleven. Mm-hmm. You know, hard to, and hard again, to you can call it an adaptation more than a remake, but whatever. And, um, the body snatchers with um, Sutherland in it. Seventies, um, but because there have been like four of those, right? Uh-huh. Hold on, I should have looked this up before. Because I'm thinking like the thing from space and the thing, but that's different from what you're doing. His body uh, snatchers. 1956, 1978, and then an, I think another one. So 78 was the one. Okay, invasion yeah, of the body snatchers. David Sutherland, yes, invasion, and and the 78 is so much better than the 1956 it's you know a good case a case for the remake if you will mm-hmm. this is a good one i think for me um i mean planet of the apes like i know the original is a classic oh. but i love 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 this new trilogy just so much like yeah so that's yeah. that's that's one for me um and then and then true grit as well like i like the classic john wayne one a lot but the the remake held its own the paley steinfeld oh, yeah. and Jeff Bridges, like that, was a true to form, solid, visually stunning remake. I mean, I I will not say it's my favorite, but I think the Tim Burton Planet of the Apes is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Man, mm-hmm. like so many wrong turns. <laughs> I'm so glad it exists. That's the thing. Like, I, I I'm, I'm glad it exists, and I'm glad we got the superior uh, uh, remakes. And mm-hmm. that, I mean, what they did, they just played with it, and it was great. They did such a great job of updating it. Yeah. Um, but when you said, uh, as I thought Tim Burton did, it's like, <laughs> just the, the, the hair and makeup and, and the acting, the ape acting in that, yeah. how he recreated that, that stuff's so good, but it's so bad because Wahlberg is just this pillar he's he's what what what's going on with these monkeys like there's no he just looks like a guy from boston confused that's all he does in the movie my favorite thing about that too is like how how much of a hero he is not he's like i just want to get home i don't care about any of you and other enslaved humans who are like i just want to get home like and everything you know he he ends up kind of helping them as a result of them helping him to get to his ship and power it up and get home but he doesn't give a fuck about anyone and i i like that because i thought it was really realistic as opposed to like oh i'm on some planet I'm going to start a human uprising against all these apes and liberate all these people. He's like, nope, don't give a fuck. I, I, I need to get back to Boston. There's a Celtics game this weekend. That's what it should have been called, back to Boston. <laughs> now, do we do we have to have seen the original and the no. remake? I, it's just favorite. I'm not better. Yeah. Ocean's yeah, Eleven is such a good one, man. Yeah, good, good choice. What were you going to say, Tim? Yeah, like I, I mean that 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 clarification didn't help me at all. <laughs> it's not like then I have the answer. It's like oh, yeah, so. I mean, the only one I can think of, like the remake that I feel like I'm the most aware of, is Insomnia, especially mm-hmm. because they were made yeah. so close together, and because I did, you know, again, this was back in my blockbuster days. I did go back and watch the original one just to kind of see, like, okay, what's you know, what are the differences, whatever. Um, 
and I, I don't, I don't like either of them more than the other one. <laughs> like they're just kind of both like they are what they are kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think it, the reverse of what Scott did with like heat, like Hannibal as an adaptation or a re mm-hmm. reboot uh, or remake or any of those of science of the lambs or red dragon or Manhunter. Mm-hmm. Just incredible. Like I just even Red Dragon as a film, as a remake of Manhunter, is yeah, incredible. Actually, you know, that like, might be my pick then. Yeah, because actually, I really liked Red Dragon, and I know you had yeah, us yeah. go back and rewind. I mean, it was it was fine, but yeah, it was definitely like dated. And I feel like one of those things you have to have kind of maybe seen it in the time, or I know that you're you know you're such a fan of that right. universe. But like for me, if it's just like comparing the two, like yeah, Red Dragon to me was definitely like more i'll say more enjoyable for me yeah like just the i mean it had edward norton in it you know which you know he's great um and just like yeah the way i i i i found it more terrifying that's just me you know again like yeah there is something to be said you know for the the old school version but um yeah i thought it i thought it was great definitely not rob zombie's version of any of the classic horror movies (laughs) all the originals are so much better The man loves the films. He's just, he's just not, not great. Well, here's a question: Is Evil Dead Two does that count as a remake? Yes, Dead yes. Ah. <laughs> Evil Dead yes, and that is also an excellent one. <laughs> yeah, that's that's probably my answer. Yeah, I mean, it, well, yeah, especially because I saw Evil Dead Two before Evil Dead One. I remember being like, "Well, hi, I haven't seen it." It's like, "Oh no, it does. It doesn't matter. It's just like this, you know." And and then after seeing Evil Dead One, I'm like, "Okay, now I get it. Now I get sort of how it doesn't matter. It's like, yeah, like the, the same thing from a you know, different perspective, kind of thing." I haven't seen the new new remake of Evil Dead yet, so I don't know if that's. I've heard that one's like ultra terrifying, but oh yeah, that one's that one is supposed to yeah, be like, really brutal. Yeah, like when within in the past like ten years or so, there was yeah. Movie. Did you see the trailer for that one? No. Oh, the red band trailer has 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 something just awful. <laughs> I won't I won't ruin it. <laughs> I want you to experience it <laughs> in your own time. Yeah. All right, I'll look into that then. This is it's hard. I'm trying to think. Yeah, and, I, and like we said too, like some of them are not necessarily remakes, but continuous adaptations like literature, The Woman, for example. I mean, how many right. times has The Woman been made into a movie now? Yeah. Seven. 100 you know i was thinking bond again, too like i I like that it kind of threw back with craig's stuff we kind of threw yeah. back to certain things like i liked the idea of of honor majesty's secret service being kind of rebranded with yeah. this, this last one no time to die that's a good point um because even body snatchers is a book first right so you could argue my choice is not a remake but a, a second shot at adaptation yeah, and then you know I don't I don't want to stray into reboot territory with like Batman Begins, right? That's hard. <laughs> There's Which so, is so good, many, <laughs> but also isn't really a remake of a specific thing, but also is Batman's origin for the 18th time, right? So you know, <laughs> they are and they are what not. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it, it's it's interesting. I think it's because like film has like so many origins. Like, is it? a screenplay that just came from someone's mind that right. gets turned into a film? Is it a book that gets turned into a screenplay that again gets turned? Is it a comic book that, you know, like, or is it, a, is it a graphic novel in comic form, but a, you know, contained story as opposed to decades of comic books that you're going to try to put it, you know, like, yeah. So it's, it, I feel like that's maybe that's where the whole like reboot remake, you know, relaunch right. you know, all it gets muddled gets, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, oh. I would argue that the new Dune is very definitely not a remake. 
it's just a right. separate yeah. adaptation. Mm -hmm. But then for other films, it's way harder to classify. <laughs> right. I think Mission Impossible. Because that, that was a TV oh series. Oh my gosh, yeah. Right? Wasn't like, it so. Two TV series? <laughs> yeah, I think it had different iterate. Like, they, they brought it back in the 80s, I think, as, like, with, with some of the same people. Yeah, that might be. Zeke, did you have another one? I mean, I was just thinking about the, um, what is it, the Seven Samurai that's been yeah, yeah, remade and remade seven, and remade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Flash so, yeah, I mean, yeah. Because there's seven. been. Two magnific magnificent sevens, right? Or remakes, and then yeah. So I don't know. I was just trying to think of all the threads of that one, Yo, and like different full of dollars, right? Mm. Yeah, 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 exactly. You know, he lost in court, right? right. You know, he lost that in court. Although yeah, I, I confess, like I prefer Yojimbo. Yeah, I feel like, like there's been a lot of ad adaptions of that one or adaptations of that one. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you think of. It's Shakespearean stuff. Like Ran is is King of Lear, mm -hmm. or King of Lear, King Lear. Yeah, yeah. Throne of Blood. But Good. I still haven't seen the new Macbeth. I want to see that one. <laughs> yeah, do it. Yeah, uh, Scotland, PA. That's a that's an adaptation of Macbeth. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, that one's super fun. It's like about two people working like in a in a fast food store. Like, and that's like. And like part of the whole thing is like when the person gets killed, they they put their face in like the French fryer. Oh and no! The woman who's supposed to be like Lady Macbeth, like a, a splash of the oil gets on her hand. And oh, her, she can't and get it spot, out. You know? like, so oh, yeah, so it's, it's it's really funny how like the the way they kind of like take like this this big epic story of like royalty and like bring it down to like the most basic you know yeah like this this boyfriend and girlfriend working in you know a a fast food place and everything and how how they kind of weave <laughs> the story of Macbeth through that um That's yeah and I think he has a bunch of like really clever, clever stuff. infinite adaptability yeah. yeah did you all play Mass Effect at all how many of you Anything? I did it's a space sci-fi but the gist of it is there's a particular species called the Elcor, whose entire language is like subtle muscular movement and scent. So when they have to speak to other species, everything is a perfect deadpan. And they have to announce their emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Dismissively. Do not worry about him. We are here to help you. Cautiously. Is there something? To... And one of the running jokes throughout the series is that you'll hear like advertisements for Shakespeare done by Elcor. <laughs> And I just, I love it. I would unironically watch the hell out of it. Outstanding. <laughs> Dead man intention announced Shakespeare. I really just read the script in a flat monotone, right? <laughs> to audience, ruefully. Oh, what have I done? You know? Like, just, well, which Godzilla is your favorite, Joel? Shin. <laughs> it's Shin. Every day for the rest of my life, it's Shin fucking there Godzilla. You go. That's a remake. It's there the, you go. Absolutely, Boom. it is. Yep, that one's easy. <laughs> I have a stupid idea that I've been working, was thinking about last week that has nothing to do with this episode. Okay. But do we want to redo our first three episodes, but with Zeke at some point? That would be kind of cool. Because obviously we couldn't cover everything we did without him. That would be nuts. But <laughs> the first three could, we kind of have a formula now that we didn't at the time. And it would oh, give us cool. a chance to sort of bring him back to back in time? that initial content. Yeah. Um, and then Slash, if he wanted to follow up with a fourth, like that could be a good time for you to bring something that mm. either you've been playing off and doesn't have to fit into a theme or yeah. just like Back to the Future that we always talk about, right? Or yeah. et cetera. <laughs> Again, optional, but okay. 
I so love that idea. We, instead of doing our first three, we could also just each pick one of our choices from Prezik. Oh. Depending. I like that a lot. I, yeah, I might like that idea better. What, what was our first pick that was? Dragon Lord. Dragon Sky Lord. Crawlers, Sky Crawlers. Koyana Skatsi. <laughs> Maybe I do want to do Koyana Skatsi. And as much as I like Sky Crawlers, I think there are other movies I picked that I'd rather bring Zeke to. Oh. Um, although, to be fair, I'd also love to hear your opinions on that, right? But I. Okay, yeah, whatever. Either way, right? We I can... like the idea of us getting to choose because if we end up mm-hmm. choosing some of the really early ones, that's also great. Like, I, I that's great. I like it yeah. so much. <laughs> we haven't done like a gimmick cycle in a while. I think that would be Zeke. What do you think about that? Yeah, I like that a lot. Um, when you first brought it up, I was going to ask what the first three were. So thanks for running through those. Um, but yeah, I think if you all are excited about picking specific ones, that sounds great. And then Zeke, you can just bring bad time at the El Royale again. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I'm down yeah. for that. I need to do like, for a rewatch. We should even all the way we'll up just... to like 20 episodes. <laughs> <laughs> all right, fantastic. That'll be a really great time. Thank you all for joining us. Thank you, listeners. Um, thank you, Zeke, for taking that risk again with a blind movie. Mm-hmm. We hope you all enjoyed this and that maybe it inspired you to take some new risks. Until next time. Good night. Bye. 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 Did you know Movie Mumble has its very own Twitter account? Please follow us on Twitter at MovieMumbleNTG and tweet at us with questions, reviews, or recommendations of things you'd like us to watch next.